0: This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is Caleb Smith, who is 16 years old and the author of a memoir of sorts, Peace Bunny Island, the extraordinary journey of a boy and his comfort rabbits, and how they're teaching us about hope and kindness. If you think a 16-year-old publishing a memoir sounds remarkable, and it is, it may sound as just one of many remarkable details about young Mr. Smith, who lives in Minneapolis. For example, before he became an author, he had rented a farm, purchased a houseboat and, get this, bought a 22-acre island. This was all in service of his now-sprawling peace bunny operation, which began several years ago with he and his parents and a growing battalion of volunteers bringing rabbits to children's birthday parties and other events. The enterprise has widened out considerably. Influenced by the Lutheran Church Charity's Canine Comfort Dogs Ministry, featured, by the way, on Talking Animals in May of 2013. Smith and his team bring bunnies to visit seniors at assisted living facilities and hospice wards and travel with the rabbits to the sites of mass shootings and other tragedies. As for Smith's Island, located on the Mississippi River, Peace Bunny Island functions as an animal sanctuary where he trains rescued and rare heritage breed rabbits to become comfort animals. We'll hear more about this burgeoning bunny empire when I speak to Caleb Smith in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF Later in the program I'll speak with Lawanda Bird Volunteer Services Director at Moffitt Cancer Center After a year-long hiatus owing to COVID-19 restrictions the facility has resumed its pet therapy program in which an array of friendly dogs hang out with and get petted by and comforted by Moffitt patients Well, the other way around I guess We'll discuss what reactivating the pet therapy program means and any implications beyond that that it may carry. Right now, though, let's discuss comfort rabbits and a whole lot more with Caleb with a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing DJ at WMNF.org or texting 813-433-0885. This is Caleb Smith on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Caleb. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Great. Well, first, congratulations on the book. I mean, right off the bat, what's it like being a 16-year-old who's published a book?
1: Well, it's been a, a really fun journey, um, just going out and doing lots of Zoom calls because with COVID, everything has been virtually. But yeah. It's been this seller journey and meeting new people and just these amazing connections and... Um, I'm just excited to see where it takes me.
0: I'm sure. And now the book's been out, I guess, about six weeks now. What kind of reaction have you been getting?
1: It's been really positive, seeing a lot of people that it's making an impact, uh, just hearing about the story, and uh, it's focusing a lot on the kindness, us uh, getting lots of good reviews, uh, Is focusing a lot. It's, it's very inspiring to a lot of readers. It seems to be just something that they can read and kind of just uh, escape some.
0: Some and closer to home, what's been the reaction like amongst your friends and uh, neighbors, classmates, teachers? Uh, what have they been telling you and how have they been reacting?
1: Well, a lot of my friends have different pieces of the story and they, they were impacted in different moments. So it's, it's been really fun to see the reaction of the whole story. Yeah. Not one family experience all of it. The thing, just like the, the lead up for, for families that were more on the, the back half of the story. So it, it's been really interesting to see just the, the full story, And it's been really fun to see all of my friends and and family and everybody make these um, just talk together. Yeah. To find these conversation starters has been
0: really amazing. I'm guessing those friends are are pretty accustomed to you having big successes, kind of like, oh, what amazing thing has Caleb done now, right? Isn't that kind of, in some ways, with all the stuff you've done before the book, almost inevitably, partly the response.
1: Well, they're very pleased about the success of the rabbits and the success of the book. Yeah. And... They're on this journey with me, too. So yeah. we're, we're really enjoying this wave.
0: That's cool. And what what about your teachers? I mean, what have they been saying about, hey, Caleb has a book out?
1: Well, it's because of... COVID, I've been virtual, so I have not told any of my teachers in person yet. Uh, They did, uh, the superintendent did an e-blast of the the release of it, but I haven't been in school to tell my teachers. Yeah, I'm really pumped to get back to let them know and so that they can be a part of the story too. Yeah,
0: something tells me your teachers probably know. I mean, uh, this thing's already from what I've been able to see, uh, drawing sort of national attention to you, including a nice piece, I think, in People Magazine and a number of other publications and outlets. So so it's kind of a cool bragging right. It's like, hey, I'm an AP English. Oh, yeah, I published a book. Try to top that moon, my friend. So that's pretty good. But uh, So I'm going to guess that most people listening, though, uh, since it hasn't really been out all that long just yet, probably have not had a chance to read Peace Bunny Island. So many of the things that we'll discuss today are, of course, covered in the book, which I only mentioned so you don't end up thinking, uh, does this guy have like zero reading comprehension skills? What's happening? These are all covered in the book, but, but partly I want to review some stuff for people who I haven't read the book and hopefully they'll be even more uh, intrigued to read the book. So I'm not sure that all good stories start with a bunny, but yours definitely does. Take me back to the beginning. How did all this bunny business get started? It started
1: with a rabbit named Snickers. And uh, we were, our family was looking for a pet. And I talked about how my dad is not a pet person. So we are looking for one that our our whole family would agree on. And uh, we started with, with fish first and uh, had a couple of those. But then we wanted to get uh, a larger animal. Um, So then we figured that a rabbit would would be the next, um, uh, the next spot to, to look and we wanted something that we can really snuggle with and uh, just started reaching out and I uh, looked on Craigslist for uh, a rabbit that uh, we could add into our family and uh, my mom had one as a kid so she was kind of our rabbit expert in our house. Yeah. So then we just reached out and found this one particular rabbit uh, that, it's a Dutch rabbit. His name was Snickers and he was raised with cats so he thought he was a cat which was amazing for our family. So he would, so he was litter box trained and ran around the house and uh, would come up to you and, and lick you like a cat would and was just this perfect animal for our family.
0: Yeah, that's great, especially because, as you noted, your dad is not only not a pet person then, but as, from what I can gather through the course of the book, has largely remained not a pet person, even though, obviously, there's been a lot of bunnies uh, in and out of the house and, and throughout your life since then. The fact that Snickers kind of was cat-like, you kind of got, well, we got another kind of pet in here just because Snickers is so cat-like. Has your perspective on Snickers changed much, uh, Caleb, over the years? Uh, like, I mean, he was the first one, and obviously an incredible thing has kind of unfolded, which we'll obviously touch on in a moment, but since then with Rabbits. But looking back now, is there something more about Snickers that you've kind of changed your view of him uh, in those ensuing years?
1: Well, uh, I had this really good relationship with Snickers. So then once he passed away, it was hard to... Find somebody else, yeah. and knowing that you can't, um, you can't get your best friend. So, like, if if you lose a relationship with a best friend, it's not like something can fill that spot. No, nothing can be equivalent to it. Yeah. None of the rabbits in our program have, can be let can fill the spot of Snickers. Because they're all different. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's absolutely true and very wise. And one of the things I got wondering about: uh, lots of people do have rabbits as pets. But back in the earliest days, what do you? Why do you think you saw the situation differently? Why do you think you saw an opportunity, really, to do something more than just hang out with a bunny? Well,
1: it was when I uh, was looking for the after after Snickers passed, looking for uh, the um, another rabbit. Uh, to be in our family and we got uh, four of them off of off of craigslist around the easter time frame and seeing that there were over 300 of them here in the twin cities that people were looking to sell on craigslist and just seeing that everybody has good expectations but uh you know life happens you have uh you you have scouts or you have sports and you have family things that you have to do. You go on vacation and sometimes you just can't take care of the rabbit. So focusing a lot on the prevention side, um, a lot of people just didn't have the best expectations about rabbit and uh, so they, they had a good heart and they had good intentions, but they just didn't have really enough knowledge um, to go into it. So we focused on an educational program and focusing on the prevention side Yeah. Um, so that and hopefully we can prevent the pet abandonment cycle from there.
0: Sure. Well, I have another a follow-up question and uh, or two, actually, just on that alone. But I want to let folks know who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Caleb Smith, who is 16 years old and the author of a new memoir of sorts, Peace Bunny Island, The Extraordinary Journey of a Boy and His Comfort Rabbits, and how they're teaching us about hope and kindness. Before writing the book, uh, Caleb had uh, rented a farm, purchased a houseboat, and bought a 22-acre uh, island. So if you'd like to ask Caleb a question about any of these things, including, of course, comfort rabbits, please call 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. email dj at wmf.org or text eight one three four three three zero eight eight five. so i'm part of that story that you just told me about going on to craigslist let's just take a moment because you've since become obviously a pretty significant expert about rabbits talk a little bit about the at least from a rabbit's perspective the nightmare that can be easter and and sort of impulse buys and all kinds of i think well meaning things that start off and then something else happens uh, after people have gone on their their flurry of buying uh, rabbits for uh, easter gifts well
1: during it, it, you mentioned a lot of people would buy a rabbit on impulse around the easter time frame and a lot might get a baby bunny that uh, after a while will will grow and which is a, which is a complete shocker for A lot of people that as babies, they keep growing (laughs) and some people find out that they're allergic to it. So it's a lot of it could that they could learn about rabbits, even going to interacting with a particular rabbit anywhere where they could figure out that maybe they're allergic to it or maybe this isn't a great Fit for it. So, uh, when we in our program, we have a, a program called Bunny Bootcamp, which is just an hour class about um, some basic facts about rabbits and some rabbit anatomy and things like that. Where then they can learn a little bit about it, and they, then people can figure out first are they a pet person, and second are they a rabbit person, and then. If they're into rabbits, is this particular rabbit perfect for our family rabbit person? So then, we started a, a fostering program where people can um, check out a rabbit and see if it's a good fit um, before they go out and use to buy one. And seeing that um, that we we can offer these for uh, short term, that they can kind of get their bunny fixed. And what we've seen. Is that a lot? uh, A lot of people will have our program is a few months long, and it's around uh, six weeks is when uh, if it's the kids' rabbit, then it starts becoming the adults' rabbit, where they're they're seeming to take care of it more, and that's when uh, families either fall in love with it and they're going to be rabbit people, um, or uh, maybe a rabbit wasn't particularly the best
0: with a family and then they would go with a different pet. Yeah, so uh, I mean the, the bunny boot camp is such a great idea and really if you think about what often happens when people are say going to adopt a dog, they'll go to a shelter somewhere and look at some dogs, meet some dogs sometimes, especially if there's a pet at home, but, but just generally they spend time with that dog and if there is a, a pet at home, they often use a, a little rendezvous arranged so that everybody can see how people get along. So even just that, I mean which is pretty fundamental i mean a- avoids the things that short of having bunny boot camp with people otherwise just quickly getting rabbits and having no background no framework no idea about rabbits or how they feel about rabbits or anybody else in the family will feel about rabbits so it is surprising how when it comes to rabbits people just say well let's just let's just grab this bunny looks super cute and we'll worry about the rest later and that's All often right where disaster unfolds.
1: Yeah, so then, like you said, when you have a dog or a cat, you have you interact with it to see if it's good, and then rabbits, they just look at it, and they kind of just say, I like that one. And then, um, uh, like I said, a lot of people might get them as babies, and some of them, uh, like we, we got a call from some, somebody when we first got started, about somebody that said that they got a baby and the rabbit kept growing, and it kept growing, and it kept growing. It kept growing. we're like, "Well, breed is it? They're like, it's a Flemish giant. Well, yeah, it's going to grow. It's going to be 20 to 25 pounds because it's a a giant. And I think that there's a little bit of research that we can focus on this prevention.
0: Yeah, although in this case, giant is right there in the name. So, I mean, there is a little bit of a tip-off that the rabbit's probably going to get bigger than when they first uh, met the rabbit. Caleb, I know we're kind of skipping around a little bit in in the timeline, but maybe if you could... Describe the presentation you made to your parents after realizing there was indeed an opportunity to help rabbits, and you kind of had an idea, and you went to your parents and said, here's what I'm thinking.
1: Uh, so I uh, put on my church suit and walked down the hallway like I was on Shark Tank and pitched an idea to my parents after seeing the, the rabbits on Craigslist. And once my heart broke, and i uh, just asking them, and uh, just, I was talking about this idea that I had about how we can educate and then focus on the prevention side and knowing that on Craigslist we couldn't save all of them. Um, our, the city we live in only allows four over the age of six months. They're so doing a lot of the education-based, and that we could go to all these different events, and people can interact with rabbits and learn like rabbit poop. So they're just things like that, and they're very energetic. So they're most likely not going to sit on your lap and watch a sports game with you. That they love to run around and be like bunnies, and just some, some quick bunny facts and going to all these different places and so that people could make more donations so that we could increase our rabbit once we get a location for a farm that we could increase our housing so then go to more events spread more education just expand it from there
0: right well so just even to back up so after you made this presentation i' Of course, part of that story that I love is that you actually put on a suit to walk down the hall to kind of make this uh, pitch to your parents. So I I just think that's great. And and like, even then, you already were aware of and a fan of Shark Tank. So it seems like kind of natural that you want to put your best foot forward uh, even then. But uh, so I guess by like eight or nine, maybe you're running this operation that. It takes bunnies to like uh, birthday parties, kids' birthday parties and other events. But yeah, once again, and what's I think sort of a running theme of the Caleb Smith story, you had occasion to sort of reassess what you were doing with the birthday parties and other events, and kind of look more broadly. What At that point, what did you see? What did you decide?
1: Well, every event leads to another event and things in motion stay in motion. And with our event, it started with uh, we, we did a, a church event um, for their their outreach and through that led to somebody asked, Well, have you ever thought about doing a birthday party? And then that led to another birthday that led to two more. And then a family reached out and said, Uh, would you do a wedding reception? So then we started doing those events. And then during the Easter everybody wanted to see a rabbit. So then uh, strategically planning which events we go to on during the Easter time frame and bringing the rabbits to different summer camps and really every event led to more event, and everything just expanded from there and it was asking the question of have you ever thought about doing this event and that led to uh, book club that wanted rabbits and corporate events and bachelorette parties so everything just expanded and evolved
0: but meanwhile back then uh, as you noted earlier at least residentially you're only allowed to have four rabbits as i understand it living with you so while there were more and more events and presumably more rabbits it was kind of tricky to 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 pull that off just because you could only have four at a time at least in your home and
1: so we recruited um, some other friends and uh, was, they were out throughout our fostering program we would have our, our four at our location and then we have them throughout um, and then we made a location into uh, one farm that we were there for the fall and into that next spring and for the short term was such an amazing farm uh, to house the rabbit and the numbers we had so then we have more than uh, four at that moment uh, before we, we shifted to another uh, organic farm where we house the rabbits later and then going to the spot we're at now. It's, uh, it's just been a really fun journey. Um, just the expansion of the programs and the expansion of the business and seeing that there's there's a need?
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I guess the, one of the things like I noted a moment ago is that you kept kind of reevaluating the situation. I mean, sometimes, as you've said, you know, a, a birthday party would lead to a birthday party would, would lead to some other kind of function and, and those kind of just happen on their own. But as that was happening or as those got to a certain point, you would take a step back, it seems like, and kind of reassess and just say not only like, hey, how can we uh, get to a position where we can have more than four bunnies that are just limited our house, but also like how can we do other things to help people with these rabbits? So at a certain point that included going to hospice wards, going to... Um, senior citizen facilities so that was was a whole other element but beyond a kid at their birthday party hanging out with a with a bunny or two so what do you think was it just your early developed business sense or what do you think kept prompting you to kind of reassess a situation and say hey we can do this we could help more people here we could do this if we broadened out there what do you think was behind that
1: I've always been more of, of a giver and more of a, a person that is one that wants to share and can uh, give um, and basically share the rabbits with these, these people that need them and really when it entered the rabbit world was seeing the comfort dogs in action after the Sandy Hook tragedy and seeing this this what, what I call the power of presence and how how much it the impact? that these animals made um, over in this community and saying that, well, I have rabbits and it seems like it would be a great connection and saying that, well, every event and every person that I have impact, then it's an impact that I make it. And if I uh, I talk about that throughout uh, the Bible, there's, uh, there's somebody that has uh, five loaves and two fishes and how that affected. And it was just a little boy that uh, handed it out and it's, Said I also talk about the story of the starfish and how there were all these starfish washed up on the beach and the uh, kid was tossing them back in the ocean. And somebody asked, well, there's thousands of them here, and why are you throwing these back? And he said, because the 30 that I threw back, I made an impact to these 30. And knowing that I'm a kid on a mission and everybody that I help, I'm making an impact with.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I just want to back up a little bit just because we might have gone over a little bit too quickly for something that to me seems pivotal. First of all, what turns out to be a core storyline in the book is your parents' longstanding commitment to serving those who've experienced disaster and or tragic loss and often traveling as part of a group of people with a similar commitment to the sites of mass shootings and other tragedies. So first of all, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what's behind that for your parents and then we'll maybe move into briefly uh, Sandy Hook, which you you mentioned already just a moment ago.
1: Well, before I was born... Uh, both my parents uh, went after 9-11 and working with the disaster relief there, and um, Chad learned a lot from them about that was one of the most uh, impactful over, like, from a, from a nation's view of how much that we've really done and seeing that whenever, as, as a young kid, uh, learning from my parents and seeing that, we would just, we would look on the news and if there was a particular event, like a natural disaster that affected an area knowing that they were on the... they were, uh, they were on the aftermath side and seeing this firsthand that just uh, to keep them in mind or pray for them, knowing that they're they're going through
0: difficult times.
1: So then I've just learned from them about this empathy of uh, knowing that, that they're feeling this.
0: Yeah, and it was being really with your parents on one such trip, which as it turns out was Sandy Hook, uh, where some of the other measures uh, to assist the people suffering that... Horrible, horrible emotional pain moved you and gave you kind of pr- profound inspiration. And it was the the, uh, the comfort dogs from the, uh, the Lutheran Church Charities Canine Comfort Dogs Ministry, right?
1: Yeah, and it was seeing the, the dogs there. And then, well, we were at the school. And then uh, afterwards, there's um, a bunny garden called the Pleasant. And it's in a park where they had... Uh, rabbit statues and uh, little little houses for, our, for the kids to interact with and it was focused on Peter Rabbit and seeing how much, uh, how much of an impact it brought to me and it was just a park filled with funny statues and seeing that well if we had this with real rabbits it would make even a huger impact. And that, um, well, I have rabbits, so then I made that connection.
0: Yeah, but that's the thing. uh, The comfort dogs kind of inspired you, and there was this garden that was uh, devoted kind of to rabbits, except it didn't have any rabbits. And you thought, once again, this is part of what I've been saying, Along the way here is that uh, you have uh, obviously an unusual uh, ability to kind of assess a situation and say, okay, here's, here's how it can be approved. And, and, I'm, and a running theme also is that often that improvement can be rabbits. Here, if we provide rabbits here, this will this will make this all a much more comforting place than it already might be. And really, I think that was kind of a revelatory moment there, seeing the comfort dogs, and then saying, "Hey, this rabbits can really kind of accomplish the same thing, maybe even in a, in a different way, because they are quiet." So. Let's talk about, uh, in fact, what, what, what makes up coming. But just let me mention again, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is 16-year-old Caleb Smith, the author of a new book, Peace Bunny Island, The Extraordinary Journey of a boy and his comfort rabbits and how they're teaching us about hope and kindness. Having published a memoir at 16 may not be the most distinctive thing about Caleb. For example, he bought a 22-acre island that serves as a sanctuary for his comfort rabbits, which we'll get into a little bit later. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or comment for Caleb by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf dot org or texting 885 So Caleb, what makes a rabbit such an ideal animal to comfort people?
1: Well, saying that uh, the rabbit, well, first they're these animals, so that they're they're very similar to how a dog, um, that dogs and cats and other animals have this kind of therapeutic atmosphere to them anyway. And then the, the rabbits in particular, they're very quiet animals. And um, the, the nice thing is you can, uh, in our program, we train them to sit in wagons and up in tables so that uh, you can move them around very easily. And um, so like for when you go into a senior center, they're all in a, in a circle sitting down and we can bring the rabbit around where they could see and interact with them. In the wagon as we go around the circle, and seeing that we're not that it's beneficial to both um, humans that are receiving it, but then it's beneficial for the rabbits because they get to interact and uh, play with people, and uh, they can get loved on. And uh, when, we, when we go to these different places, we like to say that. We rescue the rabbits and the rest and the rabbits rescue the fat and seeing that how much of an impact that these rabbits have made.
0: Yeah, so here's a question because, again, as you noted, a big part of this is that rabbits are quiet. But I was wondering, since I don't have anywhere near the, uh, the breadth of knowledge about rabbits that you do, are there certain breeds that actually do make sounds?
1: So, just rabbits in general don't really make any sounds. Yeah, I mean you can you can usually hear them licking their water bottle, um, but the, they're and maybe the, them chewing on some straw or things. But that's really the only noise that they make on a regular basis. And seeing that this how much and the the rabbits have these really big ears, so they're very good at listening to people. So people can uh, when they interact with them that they can tell their secrets to the rabbits, and they can go down and let the just uh, bend down low to the rabbits and just have a conversation with them. Uh, we have a, a program where we, we tried at some of the schools where the, the kids would read to the rabbit, and the rabbits seem to really enjoy, and they hop around and listen um, to, the, um, to the kids reading, and they can't really understand what the book is about, but it's Interaction that they're
0: spending time with people. Yeah, that's probably a great experience for both rabbit and the kid reading that book to the rabbit. So, hey Caleb, when we talk about comfort rabbits, what what is their role? Like, like compared to say, are there is there such thing as therapy rabbits that do something different than comfort rabbits, or or really is your domain pretty much the comfort rabbits? So we're
1: focusing, our we're more on the comfort side, but we're we also have kind of a therapy wing as well, Mm -hmm. and. Um, one of the main differences is uh, a comfort animal um, is or emotional support animal is used um, usually in, in a large group um, or it can be one on one. But it's, it's one where you're bringing an animal into a spot where you're either uh, so like bring it to a senior center where they can interact and play with a rabbit where they could be dealing, be dealing with like isolation or something like that. Um, but then as opposed to therapy. Which is with um, a therapist and their specific goal, um, specific outcome goal that they're trying to achieve, and then the rabbits will then help achieve those outcomes. I got you. So a, a, a therapist or a, a emotional support or a uh, is more just a you bring the rabbits in because it's fun and people might just want to see a
0: rabbit. Just it's, their just their presence is, is meaningful. Yeah right I got gotcha. you so I'm going to uh, get to some emails that have come in since we've been chatting here but I just want to ask one more question before we do that and you kind of alluded to this in a way earlier in our conversation but what role does faith play in what you do
1: well it's, it's really the, the the foundation and the cornerstone off of what the business was formed off of and having the same similar value system and knowing that they're they're not my rabbits they're God's rabbits and I just hate I just get to take care of them so that uh, we need to share them to as many people as possible because they're not my rabbit.
0: Yeah, and that really does seem to have guided everything you've done and and leading to this uh, incredible story that still has obviously got much more to the story after what we've already addressed or what you were able to contain in the book. We'll hopefully get to that if we don't... uh we don't run out of time. But here's here's at least some of our emails here. This one says Fantastic guests, I have two questions. What is the best way to keep rabbits safe from predators? And where do your rabbits live in winter?
1: So the, uh, I'll tackle the, the island one first. Yeah. And so the, the rabbits live at the Peace Bunny Cottage all year round. Um, that is our the farm we're renting right now. And so the rabbits live there all year round and then we'll go for short-term visits out to the island and um, throughout all of the, the different islands in our, our island chain, and knowing that our, our general idea for the rabbits on the island is that the, the rabbits go where the people are. So when the rabbit, so when the humans would uh, enter an island, then the rabbits will will go with us. But then once the humans leave the island, so the rabbits as well. And that's then to keep the rabbits safe. Um, and what we've learned is that as these humans are keeping an eye on the rabbits, then uh, like birds of prey and other predators that then stay away because the humans are always keeping an eye on them. So nice. the, we're always so sometimes the, the rabbits might stay out for days if the rabbits or if the humans are camping out, so then we'll take them in for the night and uh, put them on the houseboats and then might have a few days where they'll be out to the islands. So it's kind of so it could be more like a summer camp for them. Uh, but then when the humans leave the island, then the rabbits do as
0: well. I got you. And it sounds like in winter, they would end up at the cottage or elsewhere rather than try to still be out there in those kind of harsh uh, temperatures. Right. Sure. So here's another one. This one says, are his rabbits spayed and neutered? So the, the
1: rescues we have in our program are, and we've been focusing a lot on, I don't want to if there's there's enough bunnies out in the world, um, so being very strategic that we don't breed these, the ones that are that we have in our program as rescues and um, then some of the other uh, breeds that are just,
0: Gotcha. And this one says uh, we love our house bunny. Uh, first of all the subject line says yay for Caleb with a big exclamation mark and then it says inside we love our house bunny called Santino he does bring us peace and serenity congrats to Caleb and his beautiful life's work he's changing the world looking forward to reading this book and she includes a picture of Santino so that's great so we kind of uh, mentioned this a few times already but I'm guessing people that are just now hearing about you might be really struck by this kind of detail that you bought an island for your rabbit I mean, anybody actually buying uh, an island for the rabbits would probably be kind of striking uh, news. But uh, you're doing so, obviously, as a teen was, of course, immensely distinctive. Why did you want an island for the rabbits?
1: Well, the idea came at 11 years old during the Easter time frame and we just had all these different events, and really just out of, out of fatigue, and kind I of just said, I want an island. And um, really, the so that's, that's the original idea. And then started looking um, after the, the Easter timeframe. It kind of struck me and was like, well, maybe an island makes sense. And so then I started looking for different islands and sort of reaching out to different Uh, Island owners and found one in particular uh, that we ended up leasing for the summer. It's 22 acres. Uh, It's a very long island, 16 16 football fields long. And I had this idea of that we could train the rabbit on the island and that the rabbits don't swim off and the land predators won't get on and the eagles will stay away if there are humans keeping an eye on the rabbit. So it's this perfect place where we could train them just so that we could take them to all these different places and, and bring joy to people. So then we just wanted to test the model that summer. And then in the fall, the, the owner uh, said, this might sound crazy, but do you want to buy it? Um, so we started looking through all my contacts that I met throughout the years, um, going to these different uh, entrepreneurship contests and entrepreneurship events. And uh, I ended up finding uh, this one in particular um. So I have a mortgage on the island. Not very many sixteen-year-olds have a mortgage on an island. <laughs> no
0: kidding. Yeah, most teenagers wouldn't in- understand mortgage, and then once they did understand it, they wouldn't want a mortgage. So that that's impressive on a bunch of levels. How does that work, uh, Caleb? I guess there's donations and things from from the organization that then goes to paying off that mortgage. That's yeah, So
1: then going to all these different events, like the birthday parties, is one of our income streams. Then we have donations that come into our program, and we have lots of. Different different micro-businesses. Lots of merchandise go into that. And then recently getting a book contract. And this first year, um, all the royalties go back into the business. So 100% of that Goes back into making it sustainable and uh, paying for the
0: care of the rabbit. That's great, gosh. Well, we're sort of nearing the end of our uh, time here together, uh, Caleb. But let me ask kind of a ridiculous uh, question—I'm sure. But would there ever be a possibility? Because when you say training, by the way, I just wanted to clarify that you don't mean like tricks or the, the the rabbits somehow play basketball or whatever. You're just talking about training them so they're they're more effective and better as comfort rabbits, and when you take them to these various places, right? Right. But yeah.
1: so it's focusing on the the training of putting them in the wagons and in tables.
0: Right. And
1: um, the nice thing about an island is that if they happen to hop down, they will hop around and eat the vegetation, but they're not really going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so then we'll have a kissing noise, which means that we're going to feed them. So then they naturally kind of come back to us, and then we can put them up on a, on a table or in a wagon again. And then after a while, they kind of get used to the, the feeling of what we do in our program. And, um, and then when they're at an event, uh, we always bring... Um, a few extra rabbits so that if if a rabbit then says that they've had enough for that day that we can swap them out
0: right okay gotcha i just wanted to quickly clarify that but what i was starting to ask and again uh, noting that this might be a kind of a ridiculous question but would there ever be a possibility of training like where we live there's bunnies out at dusk there's bunnies out in the early morning would there ever be a chance of training a wild bunny to become a comfort rabbit
1: most likely not. Um, yeah. we, we keep the, the wild rabbits outside and out in the wild because that's that's where they were made to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, good. So let the wild bunnies be bunnies. I'm a, a real sucker for bunnies of various kinds, and and so I'm I'm always i always puts me in a super good mood when I just see the bunnies out there munching away. So I just thought, well, maybe that's maybe that's all that those bunnies need to do because they're sort of my own little comfort bunnies, just from a distance. Right. So that's great. Okay, Caleb, well, we have just about reached the end of the time. We've been speaking with Caleb Smith again. His book, yes, you heard me, his book, Peace Bunny Island, The Extraordinary Journey of a Boy and His Comfort Rabbits and how they're teaching us about hope and kindness is available wherever you get your books and a website to find out more about some of these things we've talked about and many other things that we didn't have a chance to talk about is peacebunnyisland.com. So, Caleb, thank you so much. Congratulations once again on the book, and thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for the invite. You bet. All right, good luck. We'll talk to you hopefully uh, down the road when you're running some even more massive empire.
1: Sounds good. Okay, Okay, thanks. I hope all of the
0: listeners have a happy day. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Take care. In a moment, we'll speak with LaWanda Bird of Moffitt Cancer Center, which recently resumed its pet therapy program. They suspended it for a year as part of the facility's COVID restrictions. The program isn't quite fully restored. There are still limitations for now, but we'll get a sense of how patients at Moffitt are benefiting from the return of their canine pals in a moment here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with Sean Patton, a terrific comic I don't think I've played in the comedy corner. And with a nod to the interviews with both Caleb and shortly with LaWanda, here's part of a piece I'm calling Emotional Peacock from Sean Patton in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I
3: don't know if you remember this side note, like two years ago, a woman tried to register a peacock as an emotional support animal. A peacock! Like, first of all, that's a cry for help we all missed. Like, what kind of emotional turmoil are you in? where you need support from a peacock. A peacock, have you ever seen a peacock? Peacock? It's not, it's not the NBC, it's not that at all. It's a more of a The the head gets crazy. It makes that exact sound. Like like a demonic turkey, man. And the feathers jut like out and at you. Because in nature, when a peacock unfolds, it is a, it's a mating call or a defense mechanism. It's the only reason it does either. It, it, it means let's or let's fight. It certainly does not mean calm down. It's only turbulence. These planes are built to handle 100 times worse than this. A peacock, like what, The poor woman. Must've been in such a dark place, like this, just, life is meaningless, it's like a cloud over my head and I'm never gonna snap out of it and I just don't. Oh. Thanks, Felipe. You're right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push on. What are you doing this weekend? There's 59 99 round-trip flights to Phoenix on Spirit Airlines. You want to go? I mean, she tried to take a flightless bird on a flight.
0: That was Sean Patton in today's Comedy Corner with a piece I'm calling Emotional Peacock, taken from an appearance on This Week at the Comedy Cellar. Now it's time to speak with LaWanda Bird, of Moffitt Cancer Center about its pet therapy program that was recently restored. This is LaWanda Bird on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, LaWanda.
2: Good morning, Duncan. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining us on Talking Animals. Let's start with some history, a lot of history as it turns out. Moffitt's pet therapy program goes back many years, does it not?
2: It does. We've had a pet therapy program for over 20 years at Moffitt Cancer Center And it is, we like to call it the crown jewel of our volunteer services program here.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So what were the circumstances, do you know, under which it was launched those 20-plus years ago?
2: You know, we had um, some of our... Uh, original pet therapy volunteers um, were patients here and had friends here. And they, um, you know, they were already doing pet therapy outside of Moffitt. And so they approached the Cancer Center about the opportunity to bring dogs here because of the benefits of of the pet therapy program. And so Moffitt agreed and we started our, we launched our pet therapy program with only two dogs um, over 20 years ago. And now we have um, over 43 pet therapy teams here at
0: Moffitt. Oh my goodness that's a massive number and are they still all dogs or are there other animals as well?
2: Yes only dogs. Okay. We really only allow dogs at this time. Yeah
0: and so basically I guess in this case the therapy involved is really the dogs hang out with the patients and the patients pet the dogs. Are there, is there more that also goes on in those interactions?
2: Yes yeah, so so essentially that's what's involved the, the dogs are you know trained to be pet therapy dogs and they are trained for comfort. They're trained to sort of read cues from patients and they just, they, they lay there. They allow themselves to be petted. Um, and they, it's, it's sort of like they, they know what to do that and, and some of our dogs, most of our dogs are just natural. And so they just know what to do in terms of providing that comfort and that just that they'll stay there for as long as the patient needs them to. Um, they also, you know, we do tricks and they, you know, have their um, tricks that they do, but we also provide pet therapy for our patients as well as our team members Yeah, because of the. The nature of the work that we do sure. for cancer sensor pet therapy is just great. Um, it's a great relief and it provides just a few minutes of, of comfort and distraction in, in what can sometimes be a, a tough um, environment.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, speaking of tough, then I would imagine it would have been really tough when the pandemic forced the hiatus of the yes. pet therapy program.
2: Yes, it was very tough. So, back in March of 2020. Last year, we made the decision to suspend the program. You know, our pet therapy volunteers they um, they um, volunteer and they travel throughout the cancer center, throughout the hallways, and at that time, we were um, also visiting inpatient rooms. And we thought the safe decision to minimize any sort of risk of cross contamination was to suspend the program. And so, yeah, that it was it was very difficult during the time that we um, did not have the pet therapy program in action. We we missed them quite often. And there's a, there was a lot of stress around COVID, yeah. a lot of the considerations. And so pet therapy was definitely missed during the time. The, the volunteers did provide videos. They provided pictures while they were out. We even did life-size pet therapy cutouts. Yep, okay. I like the Organization, it. <laughs> yes. To continue to sort of bring some of that pet therapy love.
0: Sure, the next best thing, uh, exactly. uh, I guess. Right? Yeah. Yes. So, so it was down for about a year, give or take, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. About a
2: year. And we recently returned. Yeah. Last Monday, we returned, and it was a great um, greeting. The the pet therapy teams, as they were coming to the office to sort of check in, they they were. Um, it was difficult to make it to the office because there was so much, you know, just attention and and warmth, and just you know, people were thanking them and welcoming them back into the organization. So you know, we feel like we are returning to. A sense of normalcy Yeah, having the pet therapy team. We, that was sort of one of our indicators. We thought when pet therapy um, was safe to return, we thought that we would be on our way to being, being, being more normal, back to normal.
0: Yeah, well, just for any of us, I think anything resembling normalcy is so powerful these days after yeah. the long haul of the uh, pandemic. But I think... Probably even more so, obviously, for the patients and, again, the, the people, the, the employees and therapists and doctors and others. That's probably makes really, a huge difference to have those dogs back
2: it, on. It does. They provide such a sense of calm and yeah. such a sense of comfort. And we're just so excited, you know, to have them back and for all of the, like I said, the benefits that pet therapy offers yeah. um, just by being present. Just by being present in the hallways, Um, we're we're grateful for our volunteers and um, the partnership that we have with the um, organizations that certify pet therapy dogs. We're grateful for those partnerships as well um, so that we continue to, to, um, you know, groom more dogs to um, be pet
0: therapy volunteers here at Moffitt. That's so great. Yeah, well, I'm overjoyed just hearing about it, so I can only imagine how the people on the floor and whatever are uh, yes. feeling. So, so LaWanda, thank you so much for uh, joining us on Talking Animals and filling us in on that. That's really exciting, uplifting news. And, again, we could all use a bit more of that these days. So thank yes, you so my much. My
2: pleasure, Duncan. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm Duncan Strauss for listening to Talking Animals coming up a a little bit later on WNF. We continue with public affairs, including Janet Sherberger doing Midpoint at noon in Fornola. Then at 1 p.m., the music kicks back in with 360 Degrees of Blues, hosted by Harrison Nash, followed by Scott Elliott in the All Souls edition of It's the Music. And uh, we are just about nearing the end of today's edition of Talking Animals. Hope you'll return with me next Wednesday at 10 a.m. for another edition of the show. Go, Please visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available there too as well as other podcast platforms. Links to our social media page and more. You can also subscribe to our weekly little e-newsletter. Find out about guests and other things happening a little bit beforehand. So, We'll see you next week. I'm Duncan Strauss. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa.